Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome week two of the college football season. That means week two of Big Talk with Todd and Noah, presented by Xfinity 10G Network. He's Todd Blackledge. I'm Noah Eagle. We are back from State College. I don't know how we got out of the <laughs> area. I'm still shocked that they somehow part of the Red Seas. I believe that your wife, Brittany, helped in some way, shape, or form. So if that's the case, please thank her very much for me, because otherwise I'd still be sitting there. Yeah, that was... Um... It was not an escape. Let me put it that way. I've been on some good escapes in my career. That was not a good escape at all. Uh, but fortunately, after a couple uh, trips out of the van by my wife uh, and talking to some people, we did experience some movement and uh, ultimately got back to the hotel. But uh, it was not, um, it, you know, it was like, it, I, and I told everybody in our van and I said, you know, it's, it's, it felt like Cinderella. You know, everything leading up to the game was perfect. We zip in, you know, it's all great. And then uh, as soon as midnight struck, our van turned into a pumpkin and we were just stuck (laughs) and going nowhere for the rest of the night. So, uh, but ultimately we did get home. Yeah, no, that's an excellent comparison. It felt almost (laughs) like waiting in line for Soren at Disney World. Those things can go wrapping right. around the corner, around the basically the streets of, of Orlando and whatnot. But it was all worth it because of the environment that you mentioned. Yeah. I guess it makes sense because when you look at it and you watch it on TV or even when we're in the booth, you're like, wow, this is 100, 110,000 fans. This is yes. unbelievable. You don't really think about the the, the after-the-game part, the post-issues. <laughs> <Right. laughs> but the, the actual game itself, I feel like lived up to, to everything that we could hope it would have. Yeah. I mean, in, in every respect, I mean, right. The, the weather was spectacular the whole weekend and it was great on game day. The crowd, you know, was what we hoped it would be. And, you know, there was so much build up to this season for Penn state and Penn state fans and, and the expectations for this team. And so they were ready to be in a frenzy Saturday night. Um, I thought Penn State made a very positive showing. I mean, you know, there were certain teams I thought this opening weekend that really made a strong statement. Um, I don't read a ton into one game, you know, and I think some people get carried away with with what happens, good or bad, in the first game. But I thought for a first game uh, and an introduction to Drew Aller, I thought Penn State looked really, really good. Um, the, the crowd was great. And I think West Virginia, you know, the reason I think it was a good win for Penn State is West Virginia, I think, is much better than they were a year ago. Yeah. Uh, they've got some talent. They played better on defense. So, you know, at the end of the day, that was a good win against a team that I think is capable of winning, you know, seven games this year in West Virginia. So uh, 
everything was great. The the whole game day production, uh, you know, and the, the the crowd involvement in the game was was awesome. Great start. We'll look forward to their matchup for week two uh, later on in the show. Let's at least go through some non-Big Ten games that stood out from week one. It's hard not to start with what we just saw, which was Duke getting their first top mm-hmm. ten win since 1989. You know, Mike Elko starts out his Duke tenure with nine wins last year, and it was almost – it got attention, but not the correct amount, it felt like, for just how successful they were in his first year as the the head coach there. Clemson comes in number nine in the country, and this goes back to what you had said last week of why you don't love preseason. We don't know what – Got to play. We don't know what Kate Klubnick's going to look like now, assuming that full starting role. We don't know what that defense is going to look like. That was one of the, the craziest games just in terms of all the freaky stuff that happened. But a lot of credit has to go to Duke for the way they handled themselves. Yeah, you know, um, I first ran into Mike Elko doing an A&M game, and he had come from Notre Dame to A&M as a defensive coordinator, and they paid him a lot of money, and I never really met him. And sitting down and meeting with him, coming out of that meeting, uh, I was like, okay, I, this guy's, he's sharp. I mean, there's a reason why this defense is playing at this level. He's going to be a head coach, very impressive. And so um, I'm not shocked by what he's done at Duke, uh, how quickly he's done it. You know, that is a little surprising. Um, and, you know, as I'm watching that game last night, you know, it's seven to six at halftime, and really Duke should have been leading at halftime, right? They had a couple turnovers that that cost them a chance to go in with the lead, getting the ball to start the third quarter, and and you're thinking, oh man, if they'd only capitalize on that, they, they'd be in a good position to maybe win. And then the second half comes out, and they were clearly the better team. And as I'm watching the game, I mean, I knew Riley Leonard was good. I mean, I was expecting him to to be good. What shocked me as I'm watching this game, I kept saying, is this Duke's defense? I mean, they are like flying around. They're rushing the passer. They looked athletic. They looked fast. I mean, they looked as good as Clemson on defense, you know, in terms of the way they played, the style that they played. And uh, so there was nothing fluky at all about that win last night. Duke clearly uh, outplayed Clemson and was the better team on the field. So I I would love to hear if, if you felt the same way. As I'm watching the second half of that game, obviously Clemson kept getting right into the red zone. They turned it over twice. Right. If you look at the second half, they didn't punt a single time. It was either a turnover on downs, an interception, or a fumble, or a missed field goal. That's every single offensive drive. And I kept thinking to myself, all right, this is the drive where they're going to turn it around. You right. Know, this is the right. drive they're going to score. And it just never happened. And again, you brought it up, but the Duke defense, it felt like, had an answer for every possible question it was asked. Yeah, and, you know, when you talk to coaches all over the country, when they're getting ready for a first game, one of the first things they talk about is ball security and how big turnovers can be in a first game because you do such a little amount of live hitting in camp, right? Because you, you just can't afford to. You can't afford to get guys hurt. You do a little bit of live tackling early in preseason camp, but the closer you get to the first game, you, you scale back and it's just like thud, you know, you just kind of wrap up guys. And, and so when you get into a game where they're stripping at the ball and they're, and they're going a hundred miles an hour, like they, they were all over the country this week, turnovers become huge. And, and then turnovers in a red zone are just so incredibly deflating. I mean, you just, they're hard to overcome. 
and you could see that um, that that was very difficult for for Clemson last night because I it wasn't like they had trouble moving the ball. They moved the ball, but then they, you know, they got in the red zone and could not produce. No doubt. So let's almost work in reverse chronological order with it to stay in the ACC. So Monday, Duke shocks the world. Sunday was one of the games of the week that I think everybody was looking forward to in Florida right. LSU, this top 10 preseason matchup. And we had talked about it during the weekend of, okay, what's Florida State really going to look like? Because yeah. last year it was a major leap, and Mike Norvell's done a great job with the program. But to go from, okay, major leap to college football playoff expectation, that's difficult. And that's the harder than step to take. It's one step to go from a team that's struggling to, to, to just be a, a postseason team to being an 8-9 win team. But then the, the difficult step is to go from 8-9 win team to 11-12 win team and college football playoff eligible. And, I mean, the Seminoles looked every bit the part on Sunday. Jordan Travis was outstanding, and Keon Coleman looks like one yeah. of the transfers of the country with the way that he played with three touchdowns. Yeah, you know, so I think with Florida State, you know, just, just all the narrative coming through the offseason, through the summer, was very similar to Penn State. I think there was a lot of expectation – that this was Mike Norvell's best team, that Jordan Travis was ready to really assert himself, uh, that this was the year that Florida State could maybe overtake Clemson, you know, really become the team in the ACC and, and make a run for the college football playoff. When these two teams, LSU and Florida State, played last year, Florida State won, but the thought was, you know, in looking back on it, because LSU got better as the season went on, finished really strong. And you look back on that and say, well, they got the, the extra point blocked. It was a little fluky, right? This year, they go into halftime, LSU's winning 17 to 14. And the second half, Florida State just dominated the game. And again, just like we talked about with Duke, they were clearly the better team on the field for the last 30 minutes. Uh, you know, both quarterbacks in the game threw for over 300 yards. But uh, Jordan Travis was spectacular. And you mentioned Keon Coleman. I mean, he was Michigan State's best receiver last year. And he and their starting quarterback, Peyton Thornton, both went in the transfer portal. Peyton Thornton starting for Auburn at quarterback. And Keon Coleman was as good as anybody, as you mentioned, in college football in the opening weekend. So the last thoughts then on the ACC. Based on the results of these two games, it feels like the power dynamic or at least the the – overall feeling around the conference has shifted towards the Seminoles and whether or not that's fair, that's just kind of the reality of college football, right? Everybody just does it on a week by week basis here, but I'm not willing to just give up on Clemson because they have, and I think that's the mistake most people make. But as you look at these two teams and how they could potentially develop over the course of the year, kind of how do you see things play out? Well, yeah, I mean, I know Cade Klubnick can be a good quarterback. I mean, I saw enough of him last year. You know, there's still a learning, obviously, a learning and a growing process. You know, Garrett Riley is the new offensive coordinator, came from TCU. Um, and they just – it just wasn't the, one of those things where they just hit the ground running like maybe everybody expected. But I think they've got talent. You know, they've got talent on both sides of the ball. And uh, they'll grow from this. Again, I don't, I don't like to read too much into one game. You know, and uh, so I think Clemson will still be around uh, to be heard from. Um, but by the same token, let, let's give credit to Duke. Uh, let's give credit to Florida State. And the other team that I thought was impressive in the opening weekend in that conference was North Carolina. 
Yes. I mean, you know, I actually thought South Carolina probably would have a better chance of winning that game, uh, even though Drake May is phenomenal. Um, but I just thought, you know, SEC team, maybe a little bit better on defense, a little bit better in the trenches. And that was not the case. I mean, North Carolina's defense had nine sacks and 16 tackles for loss, which is staggering in an opening game. They didn't even need Drake May to be a superstar in that game. And they won pretty convincingly on the strength of the defense. So uh, that was an impressive win also. And if they continue to play it like that, uh, with the quarterback that they have, uh, North Carolina is going to be a team to uh, to be uh, reckoned with as well. It could end up being a fascinating year in the ACC as all the conference realignment around them yeah. is happening and they, they stay pretty constant. So it'll be interesting to watch. The, the last game outside the Big Ten that – feels like a must hit was one that we were just I don't even know bewildered might be the right word or or intrigued by certainly Saturday as we led up to our game which was Colorado getting past TCU and it wasn't the fact that they won the game it was it was how they won the game it was the big plays they had to make was the fact that Travis Hunter played 129 snaps and made that level impact late in the game and that Shador Sanders just making play after play and looking as poised as ever in the pocket. I mean, for all the noise that, that Dion comes with, for, for all of the attention that he draws, he's gotten results to this yeah. point, and I think he proved that again this week. Yeah, that was as incredible of a, of a thing that I've seen in a long time in college football, and, and I think there were a lot of eyeballs on that. You know, what was Colorado going to look like? We'd, we'd heard all from primetime and Coach Prime and all that, and uh, but I, we saw a good football team. We, we saw a team that, that showed up, and, you know, there was so much talk, good or bad, about what he did to the roster when he got there, and and, you know, I think there's – honestly, I think there were a lot of people that were hoping they would not look good in <laughs> week one and hoping to be able to criticize how he came in and did what he did. But how could you not be impressed? Not just, you know – so look at all these things. First of all, the talent that he brought in, the skill talent that they had. I mean, they you know, they – running back, wide receiver, quarterback, defensive back – they they were impressive looking, right? Athletic. Travis Hunter. Not you mentioned 129 plays. It was also over 100 degrees in yeah. Fort Worth. So I mean, what he did was staggering. And then um, was dancing in the locker room afterwards. Yeah, I mean, no. just yeah. I mean, he's got to have a couple days off this week. I mean, he's got to give him some time to recover. But um, but that was impressive, right? Uh, Sean Lewis, the offensive coordinator, who I followed because he was a head coach at Kent State for the last couple of years and did a great job with their offense. I thought his plan was incredible. I mean, you know, they executed at such a high level for a first game, and the ball was out of Shadur Sanders' hands so quickly, and he knew exactly where to go with the football. I mean, there was, you know, there was never in any indecisiveness on his part. He extended plays when he needed to, but he was accurate. He was confident. And um, so I thought their offensive plan was great as well. Uh, you know, TCU still had chances to win the game. It was a three-point game. They both scored in their 40s. I think TCU maybe got away from the run a little bit more than they should have because I don't, you know, at the end of the day, what, what's going to come back at Colorado, skill-wise, they could be as good as anybody that they play. But in the trenches, I don't know how 
good they're going to be or how deep they are. And as the season wears on, that's probably going to be the thing that will, uh, you know, that maybe will slow them down. But Shadur Sanders was phenomenal. Travis Hunter was amazing. Their execution, just how good they looked. Um, and I'll say this about Dion. I don't know him. I've never met him or, or spent time around him, but I know of him and I know people that have worked with him and been around him. And I mean, for all the flash and all that, uh, he is a solid guy, you know, really strong Christian man who loves kids, loves the guys he's coaching, uh, is committed to them. And I think you see that. I think you saw guys that, that wanted to play and play well for him because of what he means to them. Well, that's the key. I think there's no denying that he truly cares for these yeah. kids. He, he wants to see everybody that he has coached all the way up to this point at every level, he has wanted to see them better themselves as human beings, better yeah. themselves as football players, and eventually mature as young men and go out into the world and represent themselves in the right way. I think we saw that week one and how they went out there and competed. I mean, Travis Hunter was... I'm not sure the last time we saw something like that. You know, Jabril Peppers was a fantastic two-way type of player. Yeah. Uh, Miles Jack was amazing at UCLA. But I'm not sure that that there's been something of that level to dominate at those specific positions and do it for 129 snaps in 100-degree heat. It's almost astounding. So it's it's hard to believe. A, a couple other just quick hitters to to just mention. Texas State gets past Baylor. That was a big storyline, 42-31. Caleb Williams continues five touchdown passes as USC defeated Nevada. But for the most part, those three games outside of the Big Ten were the ones that stood out more than more than the rest. And then we get into the conference, and the first one to hit on is, is one we spent a lot of time on last week, and that was Ohio State. And mm-hmm. we were wondering what the quarterback situation was going to look like. Kyle McCord was the starter. They, they beat Indiana 23-3. And it's hard to say this because the storyline is obviously still going to be amongst the quarterbacks because it wasn't like Kyle McCord went out there, lit the world on fire, and made it clear that he was going to be the starter for the rest of the year. And I'm sure Devin Brown's watching this, and he got six snaps in the game, and he's saying, okay, if my chance comes next week, i got to prove that that I can do it a little bit better. But the the sad part of all of this is how good that Ohio State defense looked and how little attention they're going to get as a result of the quarterback situation. Yeah, Yeah, and again – First game, right? You know, I think a lot of people would want to rush and say, compare, okay, well, Drew Aller looked way better at Penn State, you know, than Kyle McCord did at Ohio State. Well, okay, right, stat-wise, but a couple things were different. You know, this was a a road game for Ohio State. Tom Allen is a good defensive coach, and even though they're outmanned, this is the first game, so they had a ton of time to prepare for Ohio State's offense. And they played them tough. I mean, it was, what was it, 10-3 at halftime? or right. right? So so Indiana played them tough. But at the end of the day, Ohio State did what they needed to do to win. And their offense will get better. They'll continue to improve. And, uh, you know, uh, Ohio State is still going to be uh, – they're going to be right there. You know, we're not going to learn a whole lot more next week when they play Youngstown State at home. Uh, but by the time they roll into South Bend in week four – um, we'll, we'll get it. We'll get a real good glimpse of what Ohio State really is. Yeah, it feels like the collision course, especially after what Notre Dame did last week at home. Just Sam Hartman didn't have to play the second half. He was yeah. just magical and surgical again under center for the Irish. So that Week Four matchup is going to tell us a whole lot. Until then, to your point, there's only so much we can gain from these, especially non-conference games. 
once Ohio State enters that this coming week with Youngstown State. Uh, and Indiana's going to have Indiana State on Friday, so a good chance for them to get their first win of the season as well. Number two, Michigan, they beat East Carolina 30-3, to which, you know, fascinating because the score isn't all that different from that Indiana-Ohio State final, 23-3. to But it felt like Michigan controlled and dominated that game basically from start to finish. And J.J. McCarthy picked up right where he left off last year. Three touchdowns, all to Roman Wilson. Uh, offense looked strong without Jim Harbaugh there. I, I know they did that that early huddle to, to start right, the game. Right, right. Held up the number four. That was fantastic stuff. But a, a good start overall for Michigan. Nothing out of the ordinary. Yeah, I think it's an impressive win because of all the distractions that have been around them and their program the last couple of weeks, you know, because of what was going to happen with Jim and, and not only Jim, but Sharon Moore, their offensive line coach and offensive coordinator, was not there for the game as well. So to go out and take care of business, you know, against an East Carolina team that had a winning record a year ago, uh, and to and to win pretty convincingly, thirty to three. You know, the other thing, not only did JJ McCarthy pick up where he left off, but it was great if you're a Michigan fan to see Blake Corum back to what appears to be 100% because with him and Donovan Edwards together in that backfield behind what we know will be an outstanding offensive line, there's no better running back tandem anywhere in college football. So uh, so I think that was a very positive win for Michigan right out of the gate. Let's just think for a second about the top three teams in the Big Ten and how all three of them have arguably the top three running back duos in all of yeah. college football. I mean, think about what – Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State all have coming out of the backfield. It's impossible for almost any team to stop all six of those guys. It's truly, truly incredible. And it's what makes the Big Ten obviously so special. Yeah, it does. And then in Michigan's case, you add in the dual threat ability of their quarterback, J.J. McCarthy, right? In Ohio State's case, you add in the guys they got on the outside and the perimeter in the passing game. So, you know, how do you choose to defend Ohio State as their quarterbacks develop? Do you want to take away the run? Do you want to try to make the quarterback beat you? You know, I think what we saw at Penn State, West Virginia's plan was, okay, we don't want to let Singleton and Allen beat us. We're going to try to stop the run and bring guys around the line of scrimmage. And if, if they if they beat us, it's going to be because the the new quarterback does it. And he did. You know, he threw for over 300 yards. He was poised. He was accurate. He knew what he wanted to do with the ball, and he made big plays. So um, you've got those running back combos, but you also have other pieces to that offense that make it pretty tough to deal with. Yeah, really, really fun. Uh, last one to, to really kind of dive into. Fresno State beats Purdue on the opening week of the season, 39-35, in what was a wacky back-and-forth game, and Fresno gets this touchdown late. And you were wondering what the Bulldogs were going to look like post-Jay Kaner, who had been their starting quarterback yep. the last several years that led them to a top-25 ranking, and despite missing four games last year, was clearly the Mountain West Offensive Player of the Year and just showcased that week in and week out. And so – Without him, what was he going to look like? Well, Miley Keene comes in there, throws for four touchdowns, gets that game winner in the final minute or so. Yeah, 58 seconds left in that game when he found Eric Brooks in the end zone, who has now assumed the number one wide receiver role over there at Fresno. And I think a lot of credit to Jeff Tedford because he's, he's a football coach. Yeah, he's a fantastic coach. You go back yeah. to Cal teams consistently year in and year out. They were not just competitive. They were top 15 in the country. And so he comes back to Fresno State on his second go around there. 
look, Ryan Walters, I think we, we believe is going to be a good coach. We believe that Purdue is going to find a way to figure it out. We'll see them next week as they host Syracuse. And Hudson Card's a good quarterback, and, and I think showcased that at times in this game. But to me, this is more about credit to Fresno State and Jeff yeah. Tanford than anything else. Yeah, you know, not only is he a good coach, but Fresno, to me, has always seemed like one of those teams that's kind of got a chip on their shoulder to the point of like, well, you know, we'll play anybody. You know, we'll play anywhere against anybody. And so they went into West Lafayette clearly not intimidated and not afraid to, to show up in that ball game and competed and, and found a way to win at the end. I, you know, I thought Purdue was going to be able to finish it. You know, they, they scored, they took the lead, they're at home. And credit to Fresno State, they didn't even flinch. They just marched right back down the field and got the game winner. And so uh, it was interesting, you know, the four new head coaches in the Big Ten, and three of them lost their their first games. And, and it really, in the case of Ryan Walters at Purdue, and in the case of Matt Rule at Nebraska, kind of in gut-wrenching fashion, you know. Uh, you know, Nebraska, they looked like they had that game in hand on the road at Minnesota, and turnovers were their undoing, you know. And, and again, we mentioned that earlier when we were talking – you know, about other games with Clemson, turnovers are such a key point in that first game. And, um, you know, Nebraska kind of let that game get away. All credit to P.J. Fleck and his team for hanging around, hanging around, hanging around and finding a way to win at the end and not beating themselves, you know. And, and so many games in football, particularly, you know, close games, obviously, it, it's more about what did you do to lose the game as opposed to what did you do to win the game? And uh, in the case of Nebraska, the turnovers, I mean, they, they went from being in position to close the game out to, uh, you know, getting beat down the stretch. So I guess the question for you now, at least from your quarterback's perspective, and obviously spending a lot of time with head coaches and coordinators and, and being a leader of a team, for those two guys, you mentioned it. First game for both of them. Now, Matt Rule's been a head coach, and he's turned programs around, and so we yeah. know that he already has a track record to show up. But for someone like Ryan Walters, what's the message to the team? How do you get them back on track now here week two and moving forward, recognizing that it is just one game? Yeah. Well, I think he was – you know, he made the point. You know, look, the two areas we have to be better – uh, we've got to run the ball better. You know, Hudson played well. They threw the ball well, but barely over 100 yards rushing. So they need more balance offensively. And he's a defensive guy, right? He was the defensive coordinator at Illinois, one of the best defenses in college football last year. That's what helped him get the head coaching job, and they were not good enough on defense. So uh, the thing about it is they they got a tough assignment next week. They've got to go into Blacksburg and play Virginia Tech, who's not a great team, but, you know, they won their first game. They're a hard team to play up there in Blacksburg. And uh, so that's a that's a tough challenge for Purdue, you know, going into week two. And in the case of Nebraska, um, you know, Matt Rule's number one job is to keep his quarterback confident, Jeff Sims. You know, because he did a lot of good things. He just was careless with the football and some turnovers. And the last interception really was the difference in the ball game. So, but he's talented. Uh, you know, Matt's kind of hanging his hat on the guy and he's got to keep him pumped up. And, you know, if you're Matt Rule and you're Nebraska, you're in a position right now to say, okay, we got to make improvement from week one to week two. Nobody's going to give us a chance this week going into Boulder, right? It's all going to be about Dion. It's all going to be about Colorado, all going to be about how good they are. 
And so for Nebraska, a chance to go in and, uh, you know, in a game that used to be a great rivalry and, and see if they can pull an upset. Other scores just to hit on real quick in the Big Ten. Wisconsin got a big one over Buffalo, 38-17. Rutgers. In hey, that- hey, how about this with, how about this with Wisconsin, though? Because I find this fascinating. Yeah. All offseason, Badger fans, the biggest concern they had was, okay, Luke Fickle hired, you know, Phil Longo. And he's going to change our offense. And, you know, we're going to throw the ball all over. It's air raid. How's that going to work in Madison? You know, what's going to happen to, you know, Wisconsin's run game? All they did in their first win is run for 314 yards. They had two backs that both ran for nearly 150 yards. So, you know, Phil Longo's no dummy. I mean, yeah, they are going to look different, but he still knows, you know, they've got talented running backs. They've got good offensive linemen. And they're not going to stray that far from that formula for success. Well, that goes back to what we talked about during our game with Penn State going 12 personnel. Well, they can do it because they had two tight ends that were versatile and can figure it out. Look, Wisconsin's going to have big boys up front and they're going to have good running backs. You always play to your strengths at the end of the day. The question to your point is, can Phil Longo now make them a little bit more of a balanced offense to the point that they keep defenses a little bit more on their heels it still remains to be seen, but it was a really good showing week one. Yeah. Certainly that ground game is awesome. But, it, it, yeah, it's very funny to your point, just how uh, how things always seem to work out the way <laughs> they're supposed to. Rutgers got the win over Northwestern. Northwestern, obviously, in a very difficult yeah. spot. And Rutgers, Greg Shadow, start the year on a high note, 24-7. Uh, Minnesota, you mentioned that one. I do want to hit on it again real quick because Jeff Sims, to your point, played well overall. He showed a lot of, of – promise moving forward there were there were what three plays essentially that he has to eliminate entirely from his game where he puts the ball in harm's way at the very end of the first half in the end zone it's picked off and then the the obvious one the late one where you're driving with a chance to win the game and instead you completely flip the field in favor of Minnesota at home and they take full advantage for the game winning field goal but credit to Minnesota to your point for being poised and again, similar to, to Colorado in a obviously worse fashion because it was a loss, but similar to Colorado, I think a lot of people were surprised how poised and how good and, and how sharp Nebraska was in so many facets of that game, considering it was week one of this brand new era. Yeah, you take the turnovers out, and I, and I thought they did look like a, a much better football team. You know, defensively, they really kind of, held uh, Minnesota completely in check until the very end when the field position really changed. But uh, a lot to build on, a lot of positives to build on in that week one, even though it was a loss. You know, the problem is it was a conference game. You know, it, it's it's different to lose a conference game. But uh, but I'll be I'll be really anxious to see what they look like uh, going into Boulder this week and, and if they're a better football team this week. And, you know, Minnesota – I was looking at this last week because, uh, you know, this is a team that they won nine games last year, right? They won a bowl game. They've won 10 games before me. He's had great – PJ's had great success there. So I'm sitting there looking at him like, okay, I know they had a really good running back. I know they had a quarterback that was experienced. They've had some wideouts. What else was part of their success last year? And and I looked at some stats, final year stats from the Big Ten – and in little critical areas, they were excellent, like tops in the league. Third down offense, they were number one. Third down conversions. Third down defense, they were right up there. They took care of the ball. Fewest turnovers, fewest penalties and penalty yards per game. Um, 
you know, their points off a of turnover. So when they did turn it over, they only gave up, they gave up the fewest amount of points off turnovers of yeah. anybody in the Big Ten. Sudden change defense. So, you know, a lot of the little areas of the game and little ways that, that help you win, Minnesota's been outstanding in. And we saw a perfect example of it. You know, they, they really probably got outplayed for good portions of that game but they took advantage of the mistakes. They capitalized on taking the ball away and found a way to win at the end. Two other big ones from this weekend in the Big Ten. You mentioned Ryan Walters came from Illinois. They almost got upset by yeah. Toledo. That was a, a game-winning field goal required. You know, Illinois was down big at one point early in that game. They were down at the half, and, and then Toledo got back out in front after Illinois took the lead. That was back and forth there. And then number 25, Iowa, beats Utah State 24-14. They came out on fire. Right. And they kind of sizzled off towards the end, and that offense came back down to down to earth. And, of course, the big numbers everybody's looking forward to is 25 points per game. And, of course, Iowa and Brian Ferentz get 24 in week one. So those two games were both kind of fascinating amongst the conference. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see. I, I mean, I think early on in that Iowa game, people got to see and Iowa fans got to see what they hoped to see from Cade McNamara. There was some question whether he was even going to play. You know, he had been battling some injury, and uh, he played and played well. They had some stuff happen with the passing game, you know, and the play-action passing game. So uh, it's definitely something to build on. Now, they got a huge rivalry game coming up uh, against Iowa State this week, and, you know, Iowa has kind of owned that series and that rivalry, but Iowa State won last year. I think it was 10 to 7. It, it always seems to be a low scoring, hard hitting affair. And, uh, you know, both teams are 1 and 0 going into that game next week. So you brought it up. Let's kind of dive deeper into it. You mentioned last year 10 7, Iowa State wins the Cyhawk. What I'm. I went back because I was like, man, I remember they lost – Iowa lost that game close, and then I remember they lost close to Illinois, and then obviously the Nebraska game the last week of the regular season, they lose by a, a score. So three two, – two of those games, they lost by three. 10-7 Iowa State, 9-6 to Illinois. And then the last game of the season, they lose by a touchdown. That's literally the difference between them going 7-5 and five and then going 10-2 and two a year ago was mm-hmm. – those three games. And in theory, that's why they bring in the quarterback, Kate McNamara. That's why they think this offense is ready to take the next step forward. Because if they had a little bit more offense against Iowa State or a little bit more offense against that elite defense of Illinois or even a little bit more offense against Nebraska to finish the season, they're not just talked about as a, oh, okay, good season overall. They're talked about as another top 15, maybe even top 10 team in the yeah. country depending on how they play against the likes of a, a Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State. But uh, this game means to me so much for Iowa coming into this season, not just to avenge last season's loss, but to get out on the right track and feel like you're making that legitimate progress and being the team to beat in the Big Ten West. Yeah, I think so. You know, and I think that's – you know they're going to play defense, right? Uh, they typically are able to run the football. What has held them back the last few years is just the lack of a passing game. And we saw glimpses of that improving on Saturday. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of anxious uh, Iowa Hawkeye fans waiting to see if there's more to that this week from Caden McNamara and the, and the Iowa pass offense. Um, But this is a team. I I mean, I fully expect uh, that they will be battling Wisconsin when it all comes down to it in the big 10 West. I think because of the way they play defense, they're going to be in every game. And if their offense just can get a little bit over the hump, 
they're going to be a tough team to to beat. And I and I see that happening for Iowa as they go on. We'll you know we'll get a we will see them against Iowa State this week, uh, and then they'll be playing at Penn State in week four in the whiteout game. And, uh, you know, a real strong test for young Drew Aller also going against that Iowa defense. But that's yeah. the road. Yeah, those, those Hawkeyes chat rooms are probably be going insane by the time they get to week four. But if that offense looks any bit like they did in the first quarter against Utah State this week, they should be able to find themselves at 2-0 and uh, by the end of week two. Let's go to our NBC Saturday preview game. So starting at noon, Delaware goes to State College. They've got Penn State. We obviously went deep into Penn State and, and what Drew Aller looked like. But it, the West Virginia start to the season, to your point, was a great one, not just for the point that they played uh, what we call right now a Power 5 school, but right. to the point that West Virginia actually looked pretty solid. They've got legitimate talent, and it looks like they'll – have a chance to have a pretty successful season overall. And the way Geraldo handled the environment, he handled the expectations, and he handled all the defensive adjustments that West Virginia threw at him was very impressive. Not to mention, Allen and Singleton didn't have massive days like they maybe are accustomed to having. That Penn State defense looked as stingy as ever. And so everything's in place for Penn State. Now, I will say this about Delaware. They beat Navy last year. They're not a team that's going to be scared just because they're an FCS team right. playing an FBS team. But at the same time, we clearly know where the talent advantage is in this game. So what, if you're a Penn State fan, are you looking for out of the Nittany Lions in this one? Well, I think the biggest thing, and, and, and I would say this is what James Franklin is going to emphasize with his team, is we, we no steps backward, right? Doesn't matter who we're playing. This is about us. This is about us as a team, you know, as he likes to say, being 1-0 this week, but playing better, you know, improving as a team from week one to week two. So I think that's that's the focus for them. No letdown. Don't be concerned about who the opponent is or, or anything. Um, and just, you know, go out and be better this week. So I think there are areas where, you know, they can be better, obviously. I think that, you know, West Virginia had some set success running the football. I think Delaware – We'll challenge them in that and in, in the interior of Penn State's defense. You know, obviously the kicking game can be better. They they missed two field goals in that game uh, that we had the other night. So, you know, kind of settling that issue and, and being more solid in the kicking game uh, is an area to improve. But uh, the biggest thing is just continue to move forward, you know, and, and don't have any letdowns mentally or physically uh, coming off of that week one win. Again, that game is noon Eastern on Peacock. Delaware goes to Penn State. The Nittany Lions look for a 2-0 start. Our game, 7.30 NBC, Charlotte at Maryland. And a couple weeks ago, Todd, you called me and you said, hey, this game this game's going to be kind of fun. I can just yeah. tell you that this game has a chance to be pretty fun for our week two. There's a lot, and the more I look into it, the more excited I get about what we're going to see this coming weekend. Now, I do live by this adage, Todd. And that is the less sleeves that your coach wears, <laughs> the better it is. And Charlotte head coach, Biff Oji, who you've gotten to know pretty well, is awesome. Awesome personality, awesome temperament, awesome recruiter, clearly, as, as someone who led a St. Francis program to national prominence just a couple of years ago at the high school level. And, and then last year, assistant and associate head coach over at Michigan coming over now, you can feel the juice. And at the, at the same time, Maryland with Mike Loxley, a very successful year last year, you bring back Talia Tungavailoa. You have an, in theory, 
an improved defense this year as well over in College Park. Just take us through this matchup. What are you seeing? What are you looking forward to? Because I think there's a lot of storylines. Oh, there's so many storylines. I mean, first of all, you mentioned Talia Tungavaloa. I mean, he's the the best or the most accomplished, the most experienced quarterback in the Big Ten coming back. Got off to a good start. Didn't have to play much into the third quarter in their opening win against Towson, but he played well. I mean, he is a dynamic player, right? They're, they've been good on offense. They've been good at the skill positions. You know, their offensive line um, is going to get challenged this week by Charlotte's defense. That'll be the big key and the big question for Maryland in, in this week two game. Um, but they're exciting, you know, and Mike Loxley is a great recruiter. He's done a great job. He's He's got so many connections in that Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, but so does Biff Pogey. And that's, that's one of the great stories. I mean, you know, if you don't know anything about Biff, we'll be telling his story a little bit this week. He's a fascinating character. First time as a head coach in college football. Um, you mentioned St. Francis where he had success. He was also won a bunch of state championships at Gilman Academy in Baltimore uh, before he was at St. Francis. But this roster, you know, and, and so much has been made about what Dion did to the Colorado roster and turning it over and bringing in his guys. Well, Biff did a similar thing at Charlotte. He's got about 55 guys that, that came in from the transfer portal. And 35 of those guys either played at St. Francis or are from the Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. In fact, four players transferred to Charlotte from the University of Maryland. So there's going to be a lot of connections and players that know each other and maybe played against each other or with each other. Um, so I think the game is going to be very competitive. I think it'll be very, very chippy from start to finish. Um, but I do think this. I think I think that um, Charlotte's defense, because I've been to see them practice. I live in Charlotte now, so I've been over to see them a couple times. Their defense is legit. They've got guys that transferred in from Michigan, Alabama, uh, Maryland, you know, all over the place, Ole Miss, and they've got some real dudes on defense. So uh, their defense is ahead of their offense, and I think that'll be, uh, that'll be a fun matchup to watch, the Maryland offense and the Charlotte defense on Saturday night. But I do think, you know, it, it may not look great on paper, but trust me, I think the game's going to be a pretty entertaining game to watch. It's going to be a lot of fun, not to mention another transfer, so to speak. Mm. Mike Miller, the offensive coordinator at Charlotte, was the co-offensive coordinator at Maryland a year ago. So yeah. if there's anyone who knows that Maryland defense, or at least what it was last season, it's going to be Mike Miller, the offensive coordinator for the 49ers. It's just, I'm really excited. I'm really excited because Biff Pogey as well, for those who didn't see it, at the American Athletic Conference media days, got up, and the first thing he basically said was, Oh, two questions I think he got, right? And he said, yeah. that's it? Two questions? I should have known that for all you guys who picked us to finish last in this conference. And right. you can feel that conviction, and you can see how it now matriculates the players. And they're all playing with that edge, and they're all walking around with that chip on their shoulder. And when you got a chance to play against a Big Ten school in right. prime time on Saturday night, and you have a chance to showcase your talent, because to your point, it's not like these guys are coming from high school or coming from lower-level D1 schools to get to Charlotte. No, no, no. It's Michigan. It's Maryland. It's Alabama. It's You can go through the whole list of right. high-level high programs that they're coming from. They want to showcase that they still belong on that highest stage. And so for us, the, the just overall vibe of what this game yeah. could be 
like is going to be special. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge stage for Charlotte. I mean, they won't be on anything close to that kind of a stage any other time this season, even if they win. I mean, if they keep winning, uh, you know, they'll be on bigger stages. But but this will be a huge stage for them. But in the case of Maryland, right, I mean, this is a team that we already said, good season last year, bowl win. Uh, can they catch up? Because everybody just talks about Penn State being the team that's trying to catch up to Ohio State and Michigan and overtake them. But, you know, what? how legitimate of a chance does Maryland have to sneak in there and, and get up there with those big boys as well? So a, a really big stage for them as well, uh, you know, trying to climb into that upper echelon of the Big Ten East. You mentioned Mike Loxley and his recruiting prowess. And, and by the way, Maryland did play those big boys tough last year. They really mm-hmm. did. So they were in those games late. Yeah. And that's really all you can ask for is to be in the game late and then hope for a couple bounces to go your way. Tungabailoa, as you mentioned, high amount of, of experience and a high level of talent. He plays with a fire that his brother never really did, and so that's a lot of fun. But Mike Loxley, I do want to hit on him just one more time real quick because another one of these guys who has a, a pedigree, especially at the college football level, of course, with all this, all the work that he did with Nick Saban in Alabama and, and everything else kind of in his past, but the recruiting and the motivation. When you're around him and you're around that program, you feel this aura out of him, and you see why the kids are willing to do whatever it takes to play for him, and you see why he can. He's one of those guys that you can imagine sitting down, and you're at home for a home visit, and he would look you in the eye and convince you that you need to play for him. And when you've got a leader like that now on both sides for this, right. game, I just think that that because we talk about the players all the time, and I think everybody talks about the players all the time, but. You don't really think about the impact that a coach will have until you see the results. And I think we're finally going to get to see those results with locks. Yeah. Yeah, And the other thing, uh, you know, we talked about Mike Miller, you know, going from Maryland to Charlotte. Uh, The guy that came in now as the offensive coordinator, Josh Gaddis, who was at Miami, had been at Michigan before that. But he had been with locks at Alabama when they coached Tua. So they have a history there. He also brought in Kevin Sumlin on his staff, the former head coach at Arizona and Texas A&M, who's just another really good football mind, you know, so I'm really an offensive mind. So I'm really, you know, kind of curious to just see what that com- uh, that combination of those three guys, how that's, you know, playing out for their offense and for the development, the further development of, of Tunga Valoa. All right, 7.30, NBC. We'll have pregame coverage with Maria Taylor and Joshua Perry and Matt Castle and Mike Robb and everybody, Nicole Auerbach. That'll be all beforehand, 7 o'clock. We'll have the game 7.30 on NBC. It'll be a fun one, and hopefully you tune in because I think that hopefully our prediction is correct, and and this could be exactly what we expect it to be. And if it is, uh, you're going to want to make sure that you're locked in. Let's interact. We have to get some. We got to get some help from Mike Robb, though, Matt, because <laughs> Mike Robb is doing the Penn State Delaware game as an analyst, and then hoping to get in a car and get up to Maryland to be on the pregame show with us. So we he cannot have a repeat of the parking lot situation oh, that we had last week. So hopefully they're going to figure some way to either helicopter him out of there or something, so he can be with us uh, in plenty of time up in Maryland. If anyone can do it, it's him. I swear <laughs> to God, that smile, it just goes leaps and bounds. <laughs> All he has to do is flash the pearly whites one yeah. time, and they're going to go, all right, you can go through. You're, you're Mike Rob. I get it. Uh, let's go to our, our Xfinity 10G network, big connections on and off the field. 
This week's Xfinity Big Connection, we're going to go Dion and Shador Sanders. We, we talked at length about Colorado and, and what Dion has done and what Shador looked like in that week one victory over TCU. Dion said in his press conference that he was tremendously proud of his son at quarterback. He had 510 passing yards. He had four touchdowns. Coached him in high school, coached him at Jackson State. Now he's coaching him at Colorado. And the other part of all this that we we never hit on to this point, and it's something that I'd love to ask you about, it came out after the fact, after the game, that that all these Colorado kids, a couple of them have L or or, yeah. or D on their yeah, Right, so one is for leader, L is for leader, and then the other one at D is for dog, as opposed to C for captain. Now, all the guys who had L or or D on their jersey went out to the middle of the field before the game as captains. So, in theory, it's the same thing, but it's almost this designation of no, 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 you're not better than everybody. You're just assuming this role as a leader or a dog on our team. I kind of love it. I'd love your take. Yeah, no, I think it's cool. You know, I mean, it's obviously it's it's Dion's spin on that you know and and making a little bit different um you know your dogs and your leaders you've got to have some alpha guys on your team you know and you you want the dogs primarily on defense you know and you want your leaders and your level-headed guys on offense and he certainly he has that in his son I mean Shadur was so impressive again just his accuracy his understanding of the offense uh, where to go with the football. He never was holding the ball for a long time. Um, and, you know, being a, a quarterback and playing on a team where your dad's a coach, that that is not the easiest thing in the world. But you could tell that it's a, it's a great working relationship. It worked for him at Jackson State before they got to Colorado. It works on the big stage now at Colorado. Uh, it was really fun to see that whole, you know, relationship. And And, oh, by the way, there's another one, another uh, brother on the defense that played pretty good as well in Shiloh. So, I mean, you know, you talk about a family affair uh, for Colorado. It's pretty cool to watch. Yeah, I, I mean, I would love for him to be able to just pass that athleticism around a little bit, spread the sugar, because <laughs> I, feel like I just had an ounce of what those two kids have. <laughs> I would have been able to do a whole bunch of stuff that I never had a chance to do. But that's okay. What I can do is eat. And I can eat at a very high level. And that's what you're allowing us to do alongside with you. So tell us, food for the week, what stood out this past week as we got to Happy Valley? Yeah, so um, I don't know if you've ever had these in New Jersey. I know you're a big Taylor Ham guy. But I, don't know if you have, I don't know if you eat pierogies in New Jersey or okay. not. In Pennsylvania, they're pretty important. Pretty oh! So this was at the Field Restaurant right next door to where we were staying at Top Trees, the pierogies with caramelized onions and some kielbasa sausage on it. And then, you know, I can never have enough bacon. So that's a candied bacon uh, that was another appetizer that was outstanding. But the pierogies, if you've never had them out there, they're kind of a potato uh, a dumpling stuffed with potatoes. And uh, it's a very Eastern European uh, delicacy, very, very popular in Pennsylvania. So, uh the pierogies and the candied bacon was the way to go. And I'm assuming you got some of the sticky buns in your room uh, that they left for us. Uh, this was a staple at Penn State between the creamery ice cream and the sticky buns from the old college diner, which is not even in existence anymore. Uh, these are pretty special. They give you grilling instructions. You know, you, you grill it in butter. You only grill one side of them. You don't grill the whole thing. Uh, but this is a pretty nice way to 
cap off a nice meal as well. Todd, you're making me feel terrible because I should have brought mine home. Instead, I devoured the entire thing <laughs> in the hotel. <laughs> I didn't feel that bad about what it happened. We didn't even have a microwave. I mean, you just ate them cold. Just I, I did. Even ate thing. them like that. I ate them cold. I didn't even know. I should have known, <laughs> and I could have put them back and warmed <laughs> up, and it would have been a better experience. But yeah. I'll be honest with you. It was incredible. Cold. Okay. All right. Good. <laughs> it tasted amazing. And I did get to the creamery as we talked about on the air. That place always delivers. Yeah. It always, always delivers. I know you got your peachy paterno before you got out of there. Too. Sure did. Yeah. That's all that's important. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Week one in the books. We're looking forward to week two. Again, check us out. 730 on NBC. We've got Charlotte at Maryland on Peacock at noon, Delaware and State. But we appreciate you for tuning in to Big Talk with Todd and Noah, presented by Xfinity 10G Network. Make sure to download and subscribe on the NBC Sports YouTube channel and wherever you get your audio podcasts. Talk to you next week. At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.